Hmm, let's see. I'll take what is anxiety for 500, please. Welcome to Secrets for an Awesome Life. You ever see someone living a pretty awesome life and wonder, man, do they know secrets that I don't? Yes, yes they do. And this podcast is about those secrets. I'm your host, Joey Massio, certified life coach, educator, and counselor for teens and young adults. Welcome to my show. Hello, everyone. I'm excited for this episode. This is a special episode. It's different from all my other ones. It's going to be a little bit longer. I had the honor of talking with Jill Freestone and Cheryl Cardall, two friends and associates of mine who specialize in anxiety. And we had a great chat over an Instagram live and I felt that the content was so good and so helpful that I decided to take the audio and make it into an episode for this week. So if you have a teen, if you are a teen who is struggling with anxiety on some level, uh, I hope this episode will give you some clarity on maybe what type of anxiety you might be having and what you can do about it. Also, if you haven't heard yet, Firmly Founded is hosting a live in-person event this summer on July 30th in Sandy, Utah, specifically for teens and their parents. It is our summer slam, and the theme for this summer is going to be Sidekick to Hero. We are going to be taking uh, teens from Sidekick to Hero and parents from Sidekick to Mentor. And it's going to be an awesome event. We're going to be doing some fun activities where you will learn mental resilience strategies and emotional tools to prepare you for the upcoming school year and really every year after that as well. Tickets are limited, so go to firmlyfounded.com event to find out more and get your tickets right now. And now episode 77, all about anxiety. Hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to this live. This is a special live that um, I will be doing with two other amazing coaches. Not my usual two other amazing coaches in Firmly Founded, but uh, we're going to be doing this live with um, Jill Freestone and Cheryl Cardall, and uh, they'll both be jumping in here. Oh, I see they're they're here, and uh, we are talking about all about anxiety. So this is all about anxiety, and I'm, I'm super excited to talk about this. Uh, I'm gonna bring them up right now. Uh, boom. And, uh, let me bring up, let's see. Let's get this going. What's up, everybody? Hey, Jill. Hello. Hello. Oh, and now we're bringing up Cheryl. <clears throat> okay, let's give her a moment. She's coming on. Welcome to everybody. There we are. You're here. <laughs> Woo. Awesome. All right. So everybody, I'm so excited. Um, whether you're here live or watching this replay, we're going to post this replay. This is going to be incredibly valuable for you, especially if um, you if you have a teen that is dealing with anxiety or if you deal with anxiety or if you are a teen dealing with anxiety. It's going to be really good for all said people. Um, super excited to be here. Um, if you're if you're here because you know who I am, then I guess you know who I am. But you could be here because you know who the other two ladies are. So I, I guess I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Joey Massio. I'm a life coach. I specifically work with teens. Um, 
on lots of areas of their life, but going from frustrated to confident. Uh, super excited uh, to be here with these two ladies. Jill, why don't you start and introduce yourself? Hey, so I am also a life coach. I'm an anxiety and emotion coach, and I specialize in uh, family relationships. So I coach parents, teens, and kids as well. Nice, thank you. And Cheryl? So I am a parent coach and I um, help families and a mental health educator. Um, I help families who are kind of in that nitty gritty um, place of parenting kids with lots of extra challenges with mental health and neurodivergence and help create more connection in their relationships. Nice. Yeah. These are two fantastic girls. So if you are following me and not them, go follow them right now. And um, same. Go follow Joey. Joey is awesome. He's been on the podcast. So is Jill. Both of them are awesome. <laughs> nice. So, so we were all buddies and friends and whatnot, you know, digitally and, and such. Um, and so and a couple of weeks ago, uh, we did a post on our channel. Uh, and I think it said something along this line. It said, uh, the number one cause of all anxiety is your thoughts. And uh, both of these lovely ladies commented, that's not true. And I was like, oh, tell me, tell me more, right? Like, like, I would love to know more because in my experience with who I coach, that tends to be the, the, the case. But I did, I did recognize that some teens that I was coaching on anxiety that wasn't working for them, right? And I, I would get a handful of them. I'm like, oh, that's really interesting. So when they told me that, Joey, that's not always the case. I was like, oh, I want to know more. And we chatted about it and it, it expanded my mind. And I wanted to do this to expand the minds of parents um, whose teens are dealing with anxiety or again, anybody dealing with anxiety. So we're here to add different perspectives on anxiety and i think the very first thing the very first place i want to start with ladies and i'll have both of you guys comments on this is that what do people mean when they say i have anxiety like what i, th I feel like it means so much mm -hmm. to different people so uh, who wants to go first on that well i just i i found a great quote today um because i think some anxiety is a buzzword that's used all the time these days for any uncomfortable emotion almost. And I found a great quote on stress. Um, Jill, I hope I'm not taking away from your thing, no, I but I found this great quote on stress. It says, um, it turns out that how you think about stress is also one of the core beliefs that can affect your health, happiness, and success. As we'll see, your stress mindset shapes everything from the emotions you feel during a stressful situation to the way you cope with stressful events. That in turn can determine whether you thrive under stress or end up burned out and depressed. So the thing I want to say is there's a difference between anxiety and stress. And mm -hmm. a lot of our kids are feeling stressed and we're labeling it as anxiety. Yeah, I think the most important thing to do is to do a lot of defining and clarifying what's mm -hmm. happening in the body and what words we're calling it. And it's very important that... Um, we teach the skills of managing and um, labeling and awareness of uncomfortable emotions. And like the most important thing I do is we don't call any emotions positive or negative. They're comfortable and uncomfortable so that we start being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that being anxious is one thing and it has like from just a little uncomfortable all the way to clinical anxiety and there's a, a lot going on between there. So we need to do a lot of education. Yeah, 
Yeah, I think that's so smart. And I think it's, it's a testament of that great minds think alike or fools never differ. Because <laughs> I, I realized a while ago too, Jill, that I, I didn't like calling them positive or negative emotions. And I was like, oh, they, there's gotta be better words for this. And then I found Yale's mood meter. Mm -hmm. Are you guys familiar with it? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. They label it pleasant and unpleasant. Mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, oh. so I started using that. And I think some teens, when they're feeling very, very unpleasant, and maybe they're feeling very unpleasant a lot of the time, yeah. um, they want to uh, label it anxiety or yeah. I'm experiencing anxiety or parents might go, my son or my daughter has a lot of anxiety, but you just can't throw out that word and think it, we're all talking about the same thing because the help you're going to get is going to be different based on what you mean Absolutely. when you say the word anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Joey, the, the stuff that you're helping teens with, which is so powerful in changing their thoughts and you know, utilizing that, those powerful tools is so great for the kids that it works for, right? It's a really powerful tool. But those kids may be more experiencing some of those unpleasant emotions like stress and frustration and things like that. And it's not quite clinical anxiety, right? And so being able to label those things and realize that this may be a great tool for some kids, other kids may need different things. And I think that's what we were saying when we commented on your post that what you do is awesome, but other kids might need different things. And, and also that there's a spectrum in the middle that isn't clinical, but isn't yeah. just stress, that is anxiety, and just treating it with thoughts also can keep them in the loop of doing it. And they're not realizing that the thought work is sometimes making it worse. And part of the reason with that is that the thoughts aren't behind the anxiety at all. And understanding that the thought didn't create it, that it started in the body, or it's a, a as either a trauma or a stress response, the fight or flight that's just being triggered by something and being able to think your way out of it isn't possible. And so then they try to think their way out of it and then it just keeps happening. And then they're feeling shame or low self-esteem because they can't make this work. And right. so some of that middle ground is a lot of the work that I do where some of them I refer and help them have like a some kind of EMDR or IFS trauma therapy. <coughs> that's causing that to trigger but other people need more somatic body work where we're helping them to really understand what it means to be in their body and most most people that i talk to don't most life coaches don't understand that and it's more of a a completely different practice and because anxiety and stress is most of the time a separation from your body and a separation from the present moment and so for any level of this anxiety, that skill brings us back. And it's what, you know, it's what therapists use and it's what we need just for stress as well. So it's just another tool that it's really beneficial. Yeah. Well, oh, sorry, Jill, will you um, give a definition of that somatic? Oh, sorry. What that, what that means? Because some people may not understand what that means. Yeah, so somatic just means having to do with the body. Soma means body. And so an example would be, um, for example, like a swaying motion can be very simple, but for somebody in that moment to just focus on the, the way that their body is swaying or rocking. For some people, it's a tapping or a rubbing or a deep humming where we're getting the, the whole vagal nerve, the vagus nerve to actual vi actually vibrate with this sound we're making. Um, it's a practice where not everyone responds the same way. 
And some of us have sensitivities or experiences that made it feel unsafe to do different things. And so it's exploring in a safe situation to practice those things and help your nervous system regulate. And just understanding that most of this stress and anxiety that we're feeling is a dysregulated nervous system that hasn't learned how to regulate. So it just keeps going up and it keeps going up instead of we're thinking something that's causing it. But it's this mm -hmm. system that just keeps doing that. Yeah. Because it's not safe. And, it, and when it doesn't feel safe, it's going to just keep triggering to try and get you into a safe space or to get you out of that space. And so we're grateful for anxiety to do that. Like, this isn't safe. Let's get out of here or let's shut down and protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So for me, when I was ha having this conversation with you all, it was like, okay, I, I like to separate and categorize things, right? So let's say, and again, this, we are not scientists or doctors in, the, in these areas per se, but if I were, we're going to categorize these, I would say, okay, there's kind of like level one, right? For lack of a better term, there's level one anxiety. So if your teen comes up to you and your teen is like, mom, I'm having a lot of anxiety or I'm, 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 I'm uncomfortable a lot. And, and that's what they're saying. Maybe they're experiencing a lot of fear or worry or frustration, could be depression, right? And they're feeling a lot of these unpleasant emotions a lot of the time in this kind of level one status. And it's because of the way of their mindset and the way they view the world or the way they're really nervous about this upcoming test and what it means for them, uh, what somebody said to them and what it means for them. I would put all that in level one and thought work uh, self-coaching, being aware of mindset and all that might be very beneficial for them in, yeah. in that level one area. Does that yeah. sound about right? It, yeah. it, it's true. And the only little warning I would say is that there are other issues that can act like that, like OCD, for example, or trauma, where for me, that's how I was presenting all of my life as just, you know, a stressed, perfectionist, people-pleasing person. But I had OCD underneath that and it, it acts that way. It acts like anxiety. It's when, you know, it can act like anxiety or depression. And I was so high functioning. It was very, very hard to diagnose. It wasn't the typical OCD. It was sneaky. It was very sneaky. And OCD is very persistent and sneaky. And so it finds these little ways to get in. So that's where... I recommend having evaluations and, and just making sure that we are not missing something. And when, like we said earlier, if this, the typical work of trying to think your way through it isn't working, that's a big red flag that something else is going on underneath. Mm. So if, if I'm a parent and when I talk to my teen and I have that conversation, like, oh, mom, like my future's shot, or I can't, and they're like, oh, and mom's saying all these like, you know, helping them kind of rewrite their thoughts. Like, oh, you're right, mom. You're right. Oh, I feel better now. Woo, yeah, this is great. And then they're able to go off. That's kind of like, all right, that's almost like a, a, a way to assess that. It looks like some mindset changed them. But if I'm mom and I've said a lot of these things and they're like, yeah, no, I get that, mom. I get that. But, you know, I'm just still so anxious. Like, how can a mom almost figure this out? Well, well, it could look, oh. it could look like that, or it could look like it makes them feel better in the moment, and then it keeps coming back every other day or every week where they feel better, and that's where OCD looks like that. They're seeking reassurance, and then they feel better, and then they come back, and they're having that same thing over and over again. And that's a, a hard line because anxiety can be something that you've got to practice skills and get better and better at, like looking for cognitive distortions and looking for different ways of thinking and managing emotions. That takes practice. But it's that's where we need a, a specialist to to check that looping that's happening, to find out if it is. So one is a parent to not be afraid of having an evaluation if something feels off and not be afraid of 
getting extra help. And then if you're just not feeling like you have the skills, that's where someone like all three of us educate parents. Well, you know, of like getting the parents educated on how to model this kind of emotional processing and communication so that you're not making it worse. Cause a lot of times the parent might be like, don't you get it? It's no big deal. And like, go ahead and face your fears. Mm -hmm. But that's not the kind of, you know, exposure that they need at that moment. So it's, it's both of parents getting educated and trained on how to communicate and how to work through this. And then seeing like, Hmm, this isn't quite, we're not quite making progress. Go ahead, Cheryl. Well, I also think it's, if it is affecting their daily functioning, their daily life, if they are lacking motivation or they're in this constant state, rage and anger and irritability and all of these things, the kid may not even recognize that they're feeling anxious. So, you know, they mm -hmm. may not come to mom and go, I'm so anxious all the time. I can't, you know, mm -hmm. they may not even recognize it. Yeah. That's their, their lizard brain is taking over because they sense it senses danger. It's like a saber tooth tiger is chasing them all the time, <laughs> but it's schoolwork or it's friends or it's, you know, and so their body is just in this fight or flight mode constantly. And so that's why, like Joe said, parents need to be educated as to what to watch for. If it lasts for more than a couple of weeks and they are not coming down and being able to function well, you need to get some extra help for them and extra support. Yeah, nice. Okay, that's that's helpful, again, at least for me and hopefully for any parents watching this. Um, and I also like what you said about the, the is it affecting their functioning, right? Because yeah. sometimes I, I, I talk to, I coach, and I'm like, all right, so she's like, yeah, I have a lot of anxiety. I'm, okay, so then what do you do? Oh, and then I, just, I go and I do my homework and everything's fine and all that. I'm like, yeah. So everything's like, like yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm totally fine. And I'm like, okay, so you're able to do the things you just don't want to have all that ugh, like unpleasant feel, or I should say, you're just having unpleasant feelings, but you're still able to go and function the way you want to function. They're like, oh yeah, totally. But right. like Jill said, she was super high functioning and she still had the OCD underneath it. So yeah, yeah I, I you want to watch, you want to watch for high achievers. You want to watch super high, high achievers. achievers. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I have a friend whose daughter, um, you know, to getting a B causes her massive, massive anxiety and doesn't function well with, fit, with what looks like failure to her. And so I think you have to keep in mind that it do, isn't always a kid that can't get out of bed. It could be their super high functioning kid who's taking all the AP classes, who's doing all the things, who's getting straight A's and perfection, but they crash if there's any sort of um, imperfection or failure in their mind. I think it's the level of distress as well. Yeah. Like, like for me, like, yeah, complete high achiever all my life. And everyone thought I was, you know, the perfect child who could, you know, do everything. But there's this level of like, maybe the body is shutting down or level of anger. Like for me, you know, anger was what in some issues finally led to diagnosis is that there's this inability to fix something and this repetitively fixating on something that I didn't notice as a, an OCD because it's not a typical type. But with most of my clients, they're high achievers and they are unwilling to bend in some areas. And so that real strict rigidity is to like, if you, if you educate them on like fixed ways of thinking and after a few weeks and time, they're like, yeah, I get it. And they're like thinking through it and it's hard, but then they're just like coming back. Like, no, like I, I, I cannot bend on that way of thinking. That's where we need exposure therapy instead. So that then let's segue then to those level two and level three, right? So level one is like I'm experiencing a lot of unpleasant emotions a lot of the time, right? Probably not anxiety in the way that level two is and level three is, but some people might still use the word anxiety for that. So mm -hmm. 
you're talking about that middle level, level two, and then there's like more clinical. Would we say clinical is le level three anxiety? Yeah. Do we want to talk about the, the, the difference between those two and what parents can do in those two situations? Well, I think that, I mean, it's all fuzzy. Like it's different for everyone. Yeah, nobody's I, I, the same, right? Yeah. So. And like some days I'm in level one and some days I'm in three, you know? And yeah. so I think the only way we differentiated it, like on our call was like, you know, three is therapy, you know, two is what I'm doing and one is what you're doing. And mm -hmm. so like, that's just the way we differentiated it. And like at every step of the way, we need more education. We need more parent education and we need this willingness to, you know, when I say education, like understanding what's actually going on and being able to find out, um, to better assess and, mm. and, and, and a lot of humility of like, not, not saying like, well, I know what's going on here or it couldn't be that. I'm not going to look into that. It could not, not, you know, watching out for denial. Mm. Yeah. Well, I also think we have to realize that the causes of anxiety are vast, you know, it can be, um, trauma, it can be OCD, um, kids with autism or ADHD, anxiety goes hand in hand with those. So neurodivergence. Um, I mean, there's just so many reasons that can cause the life experiences, you know, tra traumatic experiences or difficult things. There's so many things be living in a pandemic for two years. I mean, there's so many things that can that can trigger this type of anxiety that I think we have to be educated, like Jill said, on um, oh, my child has been has experienced a move across the country, let's say. They're not acting like themselves. They're probably dealing with some pretty high situational anxiety. They need some added support. Mm. Yeah, and you, you mentioned something that we talked about a little bit too, trauma anxiety. Uh, can you both speak to, to that? Like, what what is that even? I hear That's, that a lot. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, yeah. Jill. I just think it's um, it's important to... I mean, yes, that word gets thrown around a lot, but like there's little trauma and big trauma, but trauma is how your nervous system responds to it. So being in a family where you got yelled at could be trauma. And that doesn't sound like trauma, but it, it's how you are. And a lot of people who come to me who are feeling anxiety of whatever form are very sensitive people. So if they have some kind of sensory processing or just tenderness and sense high sensitivity, they're gonna respond in a more, you know, a more severe way than someone who's more laid back and, and doesn't feel things as deeply or doesn't respond in the same way. Um, so it doesn't have to be like a car wreck or abuse or a death or something. So what happens anyway, in this situation, your nervous system does not feel safe and that's when it chooses its response you know fight flight freeze or fawn or or it just shuts down and when your 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 um prefrontal cortex goes offline then it's the body that is memorizing this sensation and when you're in a similar situation in the future the body then is gonna the brain is again gonna go offline and you're feeling things in your body and so then trying to talk to your brain won't help it to, re to heal and recover that. We've got to use the somatic language or the body language to, to help the body see that it's safe instead of trying to talk it out of it. Yeah. So if, if I'm a parent and my teen is, I, I'm getting the sense as I'm getting educated, right? I'm getting the sense that they're kind of in this level two 
area where maybe some um, which, uh, somatic practitioner, is that what, Jill, you call yourself, right? So if, if I get a sense that that's what they need, then seek out someone like Jill, right? Or seek out uh, maybe a, a coach who specializes in, in those things, or even a, you said a, a therapy, a therapist who specializes in those things, because you yeah. said there's talk therapy, and then there's what was trauma the second? Therapy. Yeah, trauma, trauma therapy. therapy. And that's an important thing to distinguish because a lot of people come to me and said, like, I tried therapy and it didn't work. And I said, what kind of therapy did you do? And most people have just tried talk therapy. And with anxiety, that is not going to help. It's going to be the first level of help. You, you come in and it's like, you know, like triage, you know, you're like, what, what do we need? It's going to help someone to feel safe talking about their feelings. But then we need to move on to the next level if that's not working. So we need talk therapy to help you feel comfortable and learn some skills, get education, start learning how to feel emotions, do the, try and do thought work. And if that's not working, then we move up to trauma therapy where we're like EMDR, which is rapid eye movement to rewire the brain or IFS, which is understanding different parts of yourself and healing these relationships with your, yourself from the past, you know, some inner child work, things like that. So that also is very helpful for people to realize. So sometimes they come to me and I get them to the point where they're willing to go to a trauma therapist or they've, they've, they're done with trauma therapy and they're done with that and now they're back to working on skills or body work. And so it can be something that we go back and forth with, but understanding what the options are are really important. Or they're doing like the trauma therapy at the same time, but I'm helping them on this, this other stuff. But does that, does that help a little bit? Yeah, yeah no, it helps. Helps clarify it for me, Cheryl. I think there's. It would be helpful to to identify what fight, flight, freeze, and fawn are for people, so that they can watch for it. So a a fight response would be anger, aggression, um, you know, yelling, swearing, screaming at at things. Um, a flight would be shutting down, getting overwhelmed, running away, um, not talking. Um, Jill, you can jump in if you can think of any others. Um, the freeze um, is, um, I think flight and freeze are, are very similar, mm -hmm. um, but it's just that I have a kid who goes into f flight and freeze, just shuts down completely, can't mm -hmm. talk, can't, so like you can't talk to them when they're in that spot. You have to use the body stuff to you know, rub their back if they want to be touched. Some kids may not want to be touched. Um, leave them alone, get put on soft music. Um, um, and then the fawn is um, actually people pleasing, um, trying to make everything okay, walking on eggshells. Um, and so those are the four, you know, things you can watch for when a child is stressed, are they going into one of these ways and they can't be taught and they can't be taught to if they're in those, those, you know, they're triggered into those uh, anxiety or trauma. Those are also trauma responses. So it's important for the parents then to have the skills where I teach them how to recognize it and then what to say and what not to say, you uh -huh. know, what to do, and what not to do. And a lot of that is practicing when your kid is calm and, and actually talking this through, you know, what do you think will feel good? Okay, next time you're upset, we're going to try this. And then you're going to let me know if that doesn't work or I'll, I'll be able to tell it's not working mm -hmm. and I'm going to give you mm -hmm. space. And we're going to, we're going to fail with this several times until we figure out what's going to work for you. And it's yeah. this matter of creating safety in the home to talk about these really uncomfortable emotions and to practice regulating nervous systems in a partnership. You know, it's that co-regulation that I'm here with you. I'm going to help you regulate your nervous system and tell, instead of telling you, 
you know, stop thinking this stop way, it. unhelpful way mm -hmm. of thinking. We're going to regulate your nervous system down until we can see the brain has come back online. And then later we're going to talk through and say, hey, what worked, what didn't work? Was there possibly something that you are thinking about this that's increasing the frequency of this happening or it increases the intensity once you're in it? But how can we then think about it in a way that allows us to, to connect into our body and really be in the present and ride that wave and be in it? So it's yeah. a combination of all of that, but instead of in the moment of like telling a kid, like, it's okay, you can do it, like, just work through it, like, it's not communicating generally. Can I give a couple of examples? Please. Um, I have, a, a, my youngest um, has pretty severe anxiety, like we're level three clinical anxiety, mm -hmm. right? And his response is flight. And um, a couple of times when he was like nine, 10 years old, he would take off out of the house and take off running. Mm -hmm. And um, so when he, you know, I'd go after him, I'd bring him home, I'd make sure he was safe, but we created some safe spaces in our home that he could go to, because he, he wants to be alone. He doesn't want to talk. And so we created a couple of safe spaces at home that he could go to when he was feeling that anxious. Also, Sometimes he wants me near, but he doesn't want to talk, but he wants to express himself. So I hand him my phone and on my notes, he'll type out what, what he's thinking, what he's struggling with for that, for him. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes he's, you know, and so we have to, the breathing doesn't necessarily work. The, you know, we have to work on using our senses and things like that. The second experience is myself. I didn't realize I had clinical anxiety until I was in my forties. Um, when my kids were getting diagnosed and I realized from a therapist that I was having panic attacks and I didn't know what it was. I just knew mm -hmm. my body felt so, you know, stressed and anxious because nobody had talked about to me about it before, but breathing doesn't work for me when I'm in that panic attack. Um, you know, trying to get myself to calm down. What I had to do is utilize my senses and I go grab two ice cubes one in each hand and I squeeze onto them until it hurts and it resets my body. And then I can use the breathing and then I can use the, you know, the, you know, kind of hugging myself, putting my hand on my heart, rocking, swaying to calm the nervous system. But it's like my body needs a shock to get back into myself. And so I think parents realizing that all these tools are available to help our kids feel safe and come back to safety within their body. It's really important to understand. Mm. Awesome. That, those are some great examples there. So we'll wrap up right now, but I kind of want to do an overall summary of the way that my brain heard things. And then I would love for each one of you to kind of say just whatever final words of encouragement or of, of advice to parents. Um, so for me, it was, you're, you might be saying anxiety, but it might not be anxiety. And there's lots of different ways. Anxiety doesn't mean the same thing for everybody and not everybody is the same and they're gonna be, need to be treated kind of differently. Um, one's not good or bad, FYI. It's not like, oh man, you got that one? Oh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, and I think that moves on to the second lesson I kind of took away was there's a level of acceptance here and assessment. Those are kind of like the two words I heard. So uh, acceptance for exactly who your teen is, acceptance of the emotions that they're feeling, acceptance for what they might need, and then move on to assessment. If you feel like you are there and let's get some assessment here um, so I can figure out the best way to reach them. Uh, different tools to help them in the level one area, some thought work, some mindset, some motivational 
talks or pep talks or whatnot. Uh, but then moving on, there might be some things that are more somatic. Uh, there's talk therapy, and then there's trauma-based therapy, and then there's clinical um, anxiety where medication can really be helpful. Talking to a licensed medical professionals be super duper helpful. Um, so th those are kind of my takeaways. But Jill, let's start with you. Last kind of commentary or thoughts for parents out there. I think we said it all really well. I just, um, I think when the parents are just as involved in the coaching is when the kids have the most success and the teens. And when we are willing to be humble and see that what we're adding to it, either as a person, what we're adding to it and, or as a parent, it is a really important place. Awesome. Thank you. And Cheryl. I would really encourage parents to um, drop their preconceived notions of what mental illness looks like and be humble in accepting that your child might have mental illness and that there's no shame, there's no stigma, that um, if they are struggling, be willing to get them the help that they need. Um, let's not get it to, you know, stage four. If we're, you know, we talk about cancer, stage one through four. Don't wait till it's in crisis mode. If they are struggling and aren't functioning well or are kind of in that heightened state all the time, get them some help so that they can calm their system down because um, nobody likes to feel that way. And, um, you know, be willing to look at other options and mm -hmm. um, educate yourself. Yeah, and just noticing that there's the the healthy level of anxiety that we want and we we love and yeah. we embrace, and then there's the unnecessary level that mm -hmm. is unnecessary, and that that what we are creating and adding to it, and by not regulating our nervous system or by the way that we think, and and so there's that embracing what's helpful and noticing what isn't. Nice. Oh, awesome. Well. Thank you both very much for coming on here. If I can, I'm totally going to make this a bonus episode of my podcast. If sure. I have the ability to, to download just the audio from this, I'm going to figure that out tech-wise. But um, either way, for those watching live or watching the replay here on Instagram or listening to the podcast, um, Jill, tell uh, people where they can find you um, and just yeah, yeah. Where, where to go next for you. Really easy. JillFreestone.com is my website. And my Instagram handle is my name, Jill Freestone Coaching. So easy to find me. If you feel like you need someone like Jill, uh, reach out to her. She's amazing. And Cheryl? Um, my podcast is in the works. So it's it's not, I mean, you can go there. It's fightlikeamotherpodcast.com, but it's, I'm tw tweaking things. Um, but I'm on Instagram, Cheryl Cardall. I have a podcast called Fight Like a Mother. Um, and uh, lots of resources there for families uh, dealing with mental health issues. Nice. Well, thank you both very much for coming on and talking with me about this. Uh, those just joining us, you guys can totally watch the, um, the replay. It's going to be posted on uh, Firmly Founded's Instagram. If you want to watch the video, uh, and I'm going to try to make this into a podcast episode. We'll see if I can. So thank you both. Can I say something, Joey? Sure. I just want to commend you for your willingness to Damn. learn and yeah. be humble and expand your knowledge because you could have taken our comments on your post as like, well, they're just, you know, 
blah, 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 whatever. You know, some <laughs> people get defensive, but you were like, oh, let's talk about this. I want to learn more. I want to grow. And that's really great. And that's what we all need to do, right, is be willing to learn and grow and um, open our minds and hearts to different ways of thinking and knowledge about mental illness and mental health. So truly, because in another year or six months, there's new research that we might all be telling a different story. And that's what I said earlier about humility and willingness to move forward at that pace. Mm -hmm. Well, well, thank you both. I I can't teach this stuff to my teens that I work with and then not apply it myself when (laughs) when I need to. (laughs) So awesome. Well, thank you both very much. And uh, we'll we'll probably talk again in a couple months when things change. And we'll talk about what's going on. All right, thank you. Did you know that every goat has a coach? Those who have been the greatest of all time have always had a mentor or coach to help them get the best out of themselves. And that's what the coaches at Firmly Founded do for teens in our coaching membership, the Firmly Founded Team. We help teens stop procrastinating and self-doubt, eliminate awkward conversations and conquer anxiety. Learn more about our program and when doors are opening next at firmlyfounded.com team. Every goat has a coach. It's time that you get yours.